Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today we have a very exciting episode for you folks. Hopefully it is the first of many recordings between myself, The Block Research's Larry Cermak, and our friends over at eGirl Capital. Today we have Hog. In future, we might be joined by other luminaries of that organization. The focus of the episode is going to be on markets, what we're seeing shaping crypto, and of course, our two friends, or rather just Hog. I think, Larry, you ended up skipping out on the Singapore conference, but Hog was there, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we dive into it and bother Larry and Hog about the market, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Get ready for Season 3 of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Larry, thanks for coming on the show with Hog. Uh, obviously, I have to bust your chops a little bit for rugging him on Singapore. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to go. You're probably just having a good old time at home. Yeah, I end up bragging. Uh, to my to my defense, I I have a fourth month old baby now, so uh, that's a good excuse for everything. All right, we'll allow it. Uh, Hog, how was the conference? Did you learn anything new? Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, um, a lot of people there. Uh, I obviously didn't go to the conference. I just went to all the <laughs> side events. Um, yeah, but it was good. Like it, it really felt like um, all of Asia came um, and people from other parts of the world. Uh, I, I feel like Singapore is like one of those countries where if you live there every day, it kind of gets boring. But then if you pop in like for a week, every year it's like oh wow this place is like so convenient you know you can get to everywhere in, in a few minutes um and and they also timed it with f1 so it's pretty good yeah i wonder if there's a bit of conference fatigue that is now hanging over the space it seems like every week there's a new conference and each blockchain now has their own conference and summit is it productive at this point I think like ever since COVID it kind of became like, hey, like you actually meet in person. Like all of us, you know, I haven't seen you, Frank, Frankie, probably what, like a year or something. And uh, we talk every day, but like actually meeting up in person, you know, going to dinners, going to a party or just chatting, like it's it's a bit different. And I think like ever since that happened, especially kicked off last year at the Miami conference or two years ago, 
it kind of feels like the conferences are almost like to decompress and just meet people in, in person, those that you work with, but also those that you just chat to online all the time. Uh, and, and so I feel like from that perspective, it's always helpful because a, a lot of people that you already know are in the same spot and, you know, you can actually, you know, catch up with all of them. Uh, in terms of like actually networking and, and all that, I, I feel like if you go, you know, to conferences in different places, like different continents, let's say, sometimes it is helpful because not exactly like Hawk said, like a lot of people from Asia that you normally wouldn't necessarily like speak to in the U.S. conferences, like they actually make it make it there as well. So there's some overlap, but there's also some new people. So it could be helpful. Uh, but but for me, mostly it's about just like, you know, seeing the people that I haven't seen in a long time and meeting the people that I've maybe only met online and then chatting with them in person is always nice. So what does it mean for maybe deal flow? Are these conferences an opportunity for you to meet potential founders of companies you'd want to invest in to what degree does that type of stuff happen uh i think i think you find the odd one or two definitely um it like larry said it's a good time to just catch up um grab a drink with someone but yeah i i think we've we found like one or two not necessarily like crypto crypto teams but kind of on the borderline of web3 um there were some cool people that we met for sure. Um, but I think if you're out there aggressively looking for deal flow, you're going to be really disappointed. Um, but that's not just at this conference. I think that's at conferences in general. Um, I've been to, I've been to three this year, um, Barcelona, NFT NYC, and, and then this one. Um, and yeah, I, I think at all three, if you are like aggressively looking for the, new cool thing to invest in you'd be seriously disappointed how do you think like the, how do you think the projects change and how their pitch has changed over the last few months like i feel like from the limited amount of deals that i see that i come across it's like everyone's valuations drop like 80 percent first of all <laughs> and secondly like you know the pitch is very different like back then it was like hey we'll do a token in three months uh and there'll be a product market fit immediately. You know, they're going to be a lot of users. Uh, now it seems more like, hey, we're going to spend this, you know, next two years in this bear market just building. And then at some point, like, you know, this could be a really good deal for all you guys. Uh, is, is that something that you're seeing as well? Or like, how, how has it changed over the last six months? Yeah, I see the same too. Uh, you get a lot of teams uh, talking about runway now. I think runway was not a popular word uh, before, you know, three months ago. But, you know, in saying that, I, I feel like the amounts raised uh, haven't dropped off that much um, because teams know that there are funds out there that need to deploy. And they always talk about runway because they're like, you know, this two years, we need four mil to get through these two years. Um, so I, I still feel like they're kind of targeting um, similar amounts of money, but the valuations have definitely dropped. So, you know, now it'd be four mil at 20 instead of, you know, say four mil at 40. So that, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And do you think anything has changed in terms of products and like what they're going for? Like I, I, I anecdotally have seen like more data companies, so kind of like the more long-term oriented companies yep. versus not that many token startups. Yeah, no, seeing a lot of uh, equity only deals, um, a lot of like infrastructure stuff. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of more grounded stuff, I'd say, um, yeah. I mean, in terms of like what this meltdown means for consumers, consumers of not just protocols and projects, but companies like Celsius or to an extent BlockFi, although they didn't technically 
lock out customers from accessing their funds. And of course, the folks that invested in many of these actual projects that blew up, like Terra Luna, does this put a black on the space that keeps new blood, as it were, from pouring back in? I mean, how can anyone ever trust crypto again? Frank, we were saying the same shit. 2017 2018 we're like oh we'll never see this mania again like these people will never be back you know and then we're, we're back now and everything has gone even crazier right like you have more people you have valuations were even higher than I, than I remember seeing 2017 2018 and the prices are now down for a lot of the tokens uh like 90 percent plus right like it's no joke like shit has really gone down and i think like we will see a few manias again you're right that it's not super like long-term sustainable but i i do think that at some point like you know people just start chasing the really big returns like that's what you see every single cycle is like oh hey this fund got you know a 1000x on, on axie infinity maybe i should go fund the second axie infinity and i always see that every single time and a lot of companies just end up raising on these like comparative valuations and I don't think that's really going to change and it's going to just, kind of just keeps going up and up because there's just so much demand to invest and all the VCs are chasing the marked up valuations for their funds and so and so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it will happen a few times uh, in the future again. I think the next one might be like five years away and I think we might just get one or two more um, because in my opinion, like you get, let's say five years, 10 years, like this industry has to be close to like starting to mature right by then. Um, I don't think you can get like the same super speculative bets um, after two more cycles. Yeah, I think I agree. Hog, what do you think are the most interesting ecosystems right now? Are you still seeing some like pretty good projects coming out of like, you know, I, obviously there's not so many, right? There's like a Solana, Avalanche, ZK Sync projects, uh, Starknet, you know, then, then you have Opto, Sui and all of these. Like, are you seeing any any interesting activity in any, any of these ecosystems? Uh, I, I want to say I'm the worst person to ask for this because, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm not really a pure VC. Like VCs are um, way, way more uh, bullish than I am. Um, and I think, I think no, like even with StarkNet, um, like it's been delayed, right? And we're hearing talks of teams and devs like jumping chain. And I think as long as that continues, you know, that, that to me still thinks like, uh, still reeks of teams being mercenary. And I think as long as that keeps continuing, um, for us, we don't see anything super, super exciting. Um, yeah, we, we kind of want to see commitment. And, you know, it, it's like the beginning of the bear market right now. And we, we haven't really seen teams committed. Um, they still think they can take a chance by jumping onto the next hot chain, which is, say, Aptos, right? So, Hawk, what advice might you have for those unfortunate souls who have found themselves gripped in their first bear market? What what would you tell them to maybe stay the course or stay sane? I, I think it's about patience. Really, it's about patience. Um, it's okay to do nothing. Um, but there are like some cliches. Obviously, don't try and time the bottom. Don't try and use too much leverage. I, I would say don't even try to use leverage at all. Uh, you know, we, we've seen instances uh, even in like March 2020 where if you use like a little bit of leverage, 
and all your collateral was denominated in crypto, you were very close to getting wiped out or wiped out, right? So, you know, these are very volatile times where liquidity has also disappeared. Um, and it's okay to, you know, just buy spot and, and, and write it out. You don't have to be taking massive positions on leverage. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of these like downturns, there is that one day where everyone goes, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Um, and, you know, calls up their friends to see if they're all right. You don't want to be that guy who's not all right on that day. Um, that's, that's all it is. Yeah, I think that's right. What I would add to that is like, yeah, exactly. You actually don't have to do anything. You can just kind of stay in spot for some time, be patient. Uh, but it's also like staying informed with what what the market, what's what's happening to the market, right? Like a lot of people just like they they stay patient, but they actually stop paying attention day to day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a yeah. mistake. Where like, you know, those people that actually stay engaged and those people that don't leave, you know, Twitter and don't leave, like basically don't say fuck crypto and, 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 and leave are in the best position for, for the next cycle. And they're also the ones that will be able to the most accurately kind of predict when activity starts picking up again. Just like, I, you know, it was the same thing with DeFi last year, uh, not last year, like three years ago with, with the new cycle. Like it was kind of obvious to a lot of people that stayed around, but for a lot of people, it was also a surprise because they didn't expect it to happen in that way. So I think like just stay staying informed in that market and not, losing the patience and just leaving or, or, or not doing anything, I think is important as well. Yeah, no, that's that's completely true. Like anecdotally, I, I take a holiday for like a week, week and a half. I come back and so much has happened, right? And if that can happen in a week, week and a half, um, if you're gone for three to six months, like you've missed a lot. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like just keeping your ear to the ground, um, keeping informed is, is really, really valuable. But you don't have to, you know, buy anything, right? You just have to be on top of things yeah it's just like just being patient for now and yeah, like, exactly. yeah I, I think the only way that you do well is like either you're patient and then somehow time the reversal at some point which like hawk said is almost impossible like no no one ever guesses that perfectly but like just like buying slowly and, and not buying in large amounts i think is generally a pretty pretty good thing to do is just like just just average in a little bit like as long as you have long-term conviction uh, that prices will be higher at some point in the future like you can you can just do that and be relatively safe but just like using leverage in this market like hawk said like the the, the liquidity is so much lower than it was like five or six months ago and we see that even with these exploits that are happening now like some of them are taking advantage of that where if liquidity dries up like it's just easy to move price around with like relatively small amount of money and that's really, really dangerous if, if people are touching leverage or even if they're in like risky DeFi protocols. Like I, I, I'm not really keeping my money in, in DeFi protocols at these times because I think it's like it's, it's one of the riskiest times. Um, and we have seen that over the last two, three months. It's just uh, the risk keeps increasing uh, the lower the market goes and, and the more bored people get. Uh, and, and when there is less opportunity for other things like even MEV and stuff like that, like you can really bad that there will be more people trying to exploit things and kind of like tinker around because there's just not that many opportunities anywhere else. Uh, so, so that will keep happening for sure. We've seen obviously a lot of hacks recently. Do you think a lot of teams out there are having sleepless nights over that? Uh, yeah, I like there, there are definitely quite a few teams, uh, especially those in DeFi that, uh, you know, going back and checking everything. But I, I think like we, we keep seeing these ha things happen 
periodically. And to, to me, that also means that there are a lot of teams just chilling, I think. And um, even I think with the mango thing, that was spotted like months ago. Like I remember, I, I think I saw like a, dis, a Discord log where it was brought up like months ago. So yes and no, there are definitely teams that are like not sleeping at night, but there are also teams that are just asleep at the wheel. So yeah, it's probably a mix of both. So how many of these hacks do you think are actually inside jobs? <laughs> I think honestly a decent amount. I don't think the mango one was, and I don't think the like super high amount ones are, but but I think some of them definitely are. And there are some like very clear indications of, of that. Like if it's a small amount, you know, and then they come out uh, a few days later and say, hey, uh, no one was actually harmed because we covered everything from the treasury that we had. Like that's really that's really sus overall. Mm. Like yes. because <laughs> b- because ultimately, you know, a lot of these teams, I think there are now two ways uh, how the teams are larger treasuries and really like badly performing tokens can almost like rock one is this way or like you either fake a hack or do some inside job and then you cover it from the treasury and say hell no one actually got harmed uh we don't know where the money is but no one actually got harmed everything is okay the second option is i think that one is like a little bit more creative and i feel like kind of unnoticed for a lot of these projects but it's just that you pay yourself such a high salary uh, from the treasury itself. So like you have like five or 10 team members and everyone's getting paid, you know, three to 500K on average. You're talking so about Temple the, here? <laughs> Temple is one example. <laughs> uh, but, but there are more examples, right? Like Temple is just one, but but like ultimately, is that actually a crime, right? Like if you just, cho- if I think my work is worth 500K, you know, who who is who can actually say it's not? Like maybe objectively yeah. it, it isn't, but like it's, it's, it's a pretty smart way to just continue draining the treasury and and you know the project technically hasn't done anything illegal so i think and, and i think this will yeah. continue happening where like a lot of teams just expected the token price to go up and all of a sudden it's down more than they thought is possible they made no money and they're getting desperate and a lot of them will just take advantage of these like really lax DAO governance methods yeah yeah absolutely um i think DAOs in particular are super susceptible to this yeah there's a few off the top of my mind I mean, for some project, like you look at like something like Temple Dow, like ultimately, like what can you even do? I mean, it's a project that's not really sustainably designed. Like there isn't really anything interesting about them. So like, what do you do? I mean, you're not just going to close down with a massive treasury like that and distribute it to the token holders, right? Like, because ultimately you would make almost no money. So if those people, you know, most of them being anonymous and like have really not a huge reputation risk, it sort of makes sense, honestly, from that perspective, it is really fucked up, but uh, they're kind of forced in the corner because they just don't have anything that they can do with it. Same with like like Olympus and designs like that, where it's just not useful in a, in a bear market that could last for a couple of years. Uh, and, and I think the more legitimate projects, like they should just really like make sure that, that they're run sustainably, make sure that their expenses are reasonably down. Like you don't need to pay developers 400, 500K anymore in this market. Uh, you know, you, you can actually pay out more sustainable salaries and you have to make sure that you can survive if this takes two or three years. And I think I think that's what the more legitimate projects should be doing. And then, you know, as we've seen in the last cycle, like the projects that actually ended up building during during the bear market and those that really managed their treasury well and were well positioned, they most of them have done quite well, actually, in 20, like 2020, 2021. Uh, so it's just about surviving and then being ready for when the next speculatory wave will come. Uh, and then that sounds easier said than done, but uh, but they just have to get more conservative and kind of 
accept the reality a little bit. Uh, you, you know, you don't need to have, you don't need to fly to every event. You don't need to host crazy parties if you're a pre-product, like all that. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin. Ledin, Bitcoin back loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets and only supports Bitcoin and USDC two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Recommended by professional athletes with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics. It helps me start my day. I mean, I'm on the road a lot, reporting on a 24-hour market, so I need some sort of boost to keep me energized throughout the day. Who knows when a story is going to drop on my desk? Anyway, tons of people take multivitamin supplements, and... I've realized it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. As someone who's tried a bunch of different multivitamins and has still felt tired and run down, Athletic Greens has made a huge difference for me. But anyway, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com scoop again. That's athleticgreens.com slash scoop to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I mean, aside from me, and I'm probably the biggest winner, but who are the other big winners of this bull market? <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's really any firm that didn't get wrecked. Um came out a winner. Um, and, you know, I have to, I have to specify that because, you know, Wintermute got wrecked, right? And they would be one of the biggest winners. They probably still are, but you suffer one of those and, you know, that that's wiped out so much yeah. of, of the cycle. Um, but I think like the other winner are DAOs. Like these DAOs that have a lot of treasury, they, they're the big winners um, because it's really easy to, to uh, well, it's really hard to get the money back out out of them, right? Once you've got the money, it's so hard to get it back. And I think they're probably one of the biggest winners. Like the t the Temple team, um, you know, Ohm, all of those guys, all of these DAOs that didn't get wrecked and are sitting on a stupid amount of money, those are the biggest winners. <laughs> and like you know, like in saying that as well, like a, a lot of these NFT teams as well. Those ones that are sitting on massive treasuries, they're also huge, huge winners. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. 
at the at the end of the day, like Larry's right, like you don't have to pay devs um, these huge huge salaries anymore. Um, BDs as well. BDs were getting paid massive salaries, um, and all of these costs can come down. But you know, you've already got the money in hand. So, Larry, when you maybe think about, we're not at the end of the year yet, but your predictions for. 2023. I I think you guys on the research team used to put out a end of year uh, series where you kind of predict trends that might shape the market in the upcoming year. Last year, I think it was layer twos becoming a bigger deal. What do you expect for next year? I'm not sure if you're going to still do that same exercise, but if you were, uh, what what would you what would you say and what would you write? Yeah, we will. But, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I was wrong on a lot of these things. Like I, I, I said that Layer 2s will, will have a really, like, defining year. And, and to some extent, I mean, they have, right, like Optimism and Arbitrum have done decently well. Like Arbitrum and Optimism now have, I think I saw somewhere a few days ago, like same amount of transactions and something like Avalanche. So they've done reasonably well, but they haven't done as well as I thought they would uh, last year. You know, Starknet still hasn't launched, which I thought would launch by like Q2, end of Q2, basically yeah. this year. <laughs> and then, you know, now they're still like in this like somewhat launch state, but no one really wants to deploy because it, because there's still this like Regenesis event. ZK Sync still hasn't uh, deployed on mainnet. I think that's happening soon as well. But like ultimately, we haven't seen that like 10x moment that I thought would happen. Uh, and, and part of it is also because the market just isn't good. So like, you know, if you increase the uh, the block space by 10x or even 100x, which I think will happen over the next few years, you don't have enough demand to fill it. Like, it doesn't really make a difference. Like, you still have to actually focus on building uh, those layer twos uh, and, and, and building everything to be ready for the next demand wave. Uh, and I think the new narratives are going to be, it's gonna, just going to be really difficult to establish. Like, the only, really the only two exciting things that have happened over the last few months is the merge. So just like more focus on proof of stake. Institutional inst- Institutions are being more inclined to invest because of some of the ESG stances. And then the second one is just the, the you know, the soon to be deployed layer twos. Like, I think they will still make a big impact, but because there's not enough demand, it's not going to be as big as I would have thought. Uh, and, and for next year, I think it's going to be very much like like 2019 is just like everyone will have to just quietly build uh, and, and just optimize everything and then get, and then get ready for the for the next cycle where it's going to be much much more demand will be able to be absorbed uh, and, and hopefully more sustainable models will kind of come out of that. Hog, what trends are you seeing? What trends? Uh, I'm thinking I'm seeing like more C DeFi, um, more like DeFi that like requires KYC or DeFi that, you know, requires you to dox some of your positions, you know, how much leverage you have. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a CDFI mix. Um, Do you think that's a derivative or a result of the credit crisis that we've just come out of this past summer? Um, people don't want to necessarily trust the central lies lenders because they may or may not be exposed or overly exposed to certain gentlemen who might have bought certain yachts who might be living in a certain place that rhymes with Shumai. <laughs> I, I think that's DeFi's answer to under-collateralized borrowing. Um, 
over-collateralized borrowing has not changed at all, but this is the current solution to under-collateralized um, or even uncollateralized borrowing. Um, that's the current solution. What do you think has changed in the market dynamics? Obviously, you also uh, trade quite a lot. What do you think has changed overall since the 3AC and Luna collapse? Like, like, are you seeing any noticeable differences outside of just less credit and less liquidity? No, I think. I, I think it's, it's everything just comes down to those two things. Um, yeah. Less credit leads to less liquidity and, yeah, less volume. Um, Stuff like basis trading is still doing quite well. Um, you know, you can still borrow tokens off certain lenders and, and then just put on a straight basis trade. So that part of the market hasn't actually, hasn't really changed. The, the yields there are still quite, quite good. Um, but like we, we used to trade like all these L1 tokens like AVAX and, and Solana, but stuff like that is really untradeable for us at the moment. Um, mm. Yeah, being directional traders, we almost really just have to stick to ETH and BTC um, with the odd, like, Wobby token that pumps randomly. Um, <laughs> then the risk reward makes sense. But yeah, it, it, it's really a wasteland out there for us at the moment. <laughs> That's going to be the quote we pull out. <laughs> it's a wasteland. Yeah, what, what also has changed is we've noticed like a lower beta uh, from crypto to equities. That is that I think has been a, a, a market dynamic change, um, and then for us, have you noticed crypto traders, especially those we might find on crypto Twitter, moving into opportunities in equities or FX? I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular who tweets more about sports betting and <laughs> and U.S. stocks than he does crypto these days, and that's Mr. Gainsey. Are you finding more people in the Gainsy camp as a result of the lack of juicy volatility in crypto right now and that sideways action, as it were? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we're doing the same. Um, the way we trade crypto is, is uh, you know, we can apply that to uh, almost any asset, uh, depending on what sort of time frame we're looking at. So, you know, we, we are also trading more of equities and FX um, as well. That, that's just a function of the market. I think if you're a pure technicals trader, that is definitely the move to go. Um, why, you know, why cop less volatility in crypto with lower liquidity when there are other assets to trade? Um, the bottleneck is really how quickly can you off-ramp all your crypto into fiat to do this trade? Um, I think that's the bottleneck. But if you can figure that out, yeah, that, that should be the move. Um, Anyone who is like still sitting there looking at crypto every single day, I think is doing it wrong. What about you, Larry? Are you still punting options on your Robinhood account? I remember that no. was <laughs> the activity du jour for you back during the heady days of the high golden age of the pandemic, post-pandemic retail trading age. No, it was just like, it's just like, it's exactly what Hawk said. Like when crypto gets less exciting, you need to pinch your gambling, uh, you know, uh, you, you just need some, you just need some adrenaline. And then that was, I think, my way to kind of. Isn't that crazy though, when you think about it, how at one point the market was so crazy that meme stocks and just U.S. equities to an extent in general were as high flying 
as crypto. Yeah, I mean, it was. That liquidity tail boom, <laughs> yeah. tailwind yeah. was powerful. I, I think even now it's like exactly like Hawk said, like, I don't know, like uh, if you're a technical trader, then sure. But imagine if you're like a pure crypto long only kind of yeah. guy, like what do you actually do now? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like you have to wait work. for a couple yeah. of years. And like we talk to these funds all the time and they're like, well, what are, what are we really supposed to do? Like, are we just supposed to be like diligencing all these assets and then turn into a VC fund? Because like ultimately, if the market stays this way for a couple of years, you know, you really cannot do anything unless you're a technical trader and you can trade different assets or um, or, or have some other way to, to kind of get alpha. Uh, but 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 a lot of these funds are just like, they, they have been set up over the last like year or something. And all of a sudden they're coming in and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with this money? <laughs> like we do, we, do, we have no way to deploy. Yeah, um, the market has phases. Uh, like a, a lot of traders became like NFT traders um, a few, a, a while ago too. So this isn't new, um, but yeah, uh, I think not trading crypto is the quote unquote cool thing to do now. But like, so like, like these fundamental firms, um, when we do get a bull cycle, they'll, they'll do well. Right. And it, it's really about, do you want consistent income that fluctuates, but not too much, or do you want to hit those home runs? And I won't lie, like probably every VC firm outperformed us in 2021. Um, well, at least up until November, right? Um, and that that's just the way the game is played. If if you have those time frames, and you uh, you see the moon, like you're gonna hold for those thousand X's. And as traders, it's very hard for us to hold for those thousand X's, and we'll miss it almost all the time. So, you know, over a long enough time frame, you probably get the same return. Um, like the same yearly return over a long enough time frame. It's just that right now they're probably doing nothing or they're probably losing money while we're still making money. But, you know, those roles will reverse um, as soon as you get like a, a up cycle again. How do you guys pick your analysts or your your traders? Uh, how do you do due diligence on that? Like, how do you make sure they're not just like, you know, LARPs? Uh, how, how do you make sure that they're actually capable of trading a market, especially as difficult as it is today? Um, you can only really base it off uh, the historical results. We always ask for, for traders, the due diligence is, is higher because, um, you know, you can't really fake trading, right? So we, we look at their historical results, what their drawdowns look like. Um, there are a lot of people in this cycle that have made a lot of money, but their drawdowns are insane. Um, and as a firm, you can't really take that. Or you can take that, but you just have to give them less starting capital. Um, and then with new traders, obviously the bankroll that they start with is smaller and then they build up their performance and, and as they perform and say their drawdowns and, and numbers look good, then we kind of size them up. That's how it works with traders. Um, with analysts, it, it's, I think analysts are, are even harder to analyze for the lack of a better word, right? Um, how, how can you really, you know, judge their performance um, there's no like hard numbers that you can use. So analysts are harder to judge, but we also give them more leeway. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, we're still the ones executing, uh, all the trades. So we, with analysts, it's more of a shit show, I think. <laughs> How do you make sure that there is no, no like large uh, 
drawdown, like you mentioned, like, you know, it's possible that some trader maybe has a few like small uh, drawdowns and then one massive one. So like, I almost remember like uh, hearing to Suzu on podcast and he'd be saying the same exact thing. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to have great risk control. Like you have to, you have to really make sure that you don't get wrecked in a, in a volatile market. And then, you know, uh, a few months later, you see him get wrecked in the same exact way. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, is it just kind of like, uh, firm-wide risk procedures, uh, training, yeah. and, and, and controlling actually how the trades are executed? Yeah, it's just about, for us, it's really just about having that guy who is impartial um, to who you are um, watching your drawdowns. Um, yeah, that I think that's probably something that Three Arrows might have missed. Um, or it's, it's also possible that, you know, Sue and Kyle are just such large personalities within the firm that it's as a risk manager, you can't really control their drawdowns because at the end of the day, they're the owners, right? Um, I don't think they had risk management though. Right. <laughs> it was Kyle. Yeah, it was Kyle. Or, but it wasn't a, wasn't a person, right? I wonder who had that job. So for us, it would be the same. Like if, if I were to go on uh, a streak where I would just say, fuck you to the risk manager, then the firm can also blow up, right? Because ultimately, you know, I am the I am the firm, and I can overrule the risk manager. So you still have the same issue there, and I think it's really hard to get around that issue. Um, if you, as the owner of the firm, say I want to put this trade on, there's nothing stopping you. Uh, but with other traders, you can manage them. So this is hopefully, unless we get rugged by the folks over at Eagle Capital. Or Larry. Larry might rug as well. <laughs> a monthly series where we have Larry and some of the team over at the eGirl group join us to talk about the market. So I, I thought it'd be nice to kind of end each episode in the same way with a overrated, underrated segment where I will say a word or a phrase or a topic and you will respond with your reasoning why something's overrated or underrated. So let's start with crypto gaming. Overrated or underrated? Can I give a neither? Yeah, you definitely can. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's got gone to the point where it's neither. Uh, people people have realized that games are not surefire bets. Uh, games are having time hard time raising as well. So I, I think it's neither now. Mr. Cermak? Yeah, I agree. I agree. For me, it's probably overrated. Uh, but but exactly like Hawk said, like there's just so much that goes into development of games, and you can't fix it with Ponzinomics that lasts for a year and a half. Like you, you you have to make the games fun enough to be to be played without the tokens, and then somehow insert the tokens to help the you know feasibility of the game or something like that. But you can't do it the opposite way. I think like. Uh, everything will just end exactly the same as Axie Infinity. When you run out of new players, you run out of interest, like it will just all come crashing down and then the token economics no longer work and the game just ends up like slowly kind of fading into nothing. So I would say overrated for now, but there's also some cool games that are being developed right now that will take some years, but I'm not bearish on, on it working out long-term, just like the short-term ones and, and the token economics is just in general are not sustainable. And I've seen nothing that has been sustainable so far. Yeah, I, I want to butt in and say like, people people really underestimate how much it costs to make like a good game. Even like these mobile games like Pokemon Unite, 
um, you know, they might seem really simple, but they cost like 20 to 50 million. And as far as I know, like no crypto gaming project has raised that amount of money, right? So to expect them to make a quality game, um, you know, not even AAA, like to, to the to the quality of like Pokemon Unite, like it's just really unfeasible. But I, I say it's neither because I'm seeing a lot more, well, a lot less gaming projects being funded um, as a whole. So, yeah. The market's moving in that direction, I I guess, is what you're saying. Yep. So it's hard to say. Even these like two at 20s are not getting filled because people realize, you know, what can you really do with two million? Like, fuck all. Yeah. I was going to ask one more, but I don't want to deprive Larry of his super important 9 a.m. meeting that he has. No, I'm good for like three more minutes if you want. Okay, let's go one more. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let me think of something that is interesting. I have on the paper here Aptos, maybe, or or uh, DeFi derivatives. You should you should you should say AppChains. AppChains is a good one. D- DeFi DeFi derivatives are super overrated. Still, um, we we get approached all the time to like do market making or trade on these things and there's zero reason why we ever would uh the liquidity is even worse than the shittiest liquidity you know ever <laughs> yeah it's so yeah super super overrated um yeah I, I don't know who the target audience is really for these things like it's probably us-based retail traders that's your target market um or china-based too could be right, right? yeah but the, the target market is very, very small. Um, yeah. yeah. They're still overrated because they're still getting funded, in my opinion. One of one of the most problems, and I think I identified this like at some point last year as well when, when the bull market was going on, but like it is, a, it is a huge fucking problem, in my opinion, that every single chain has like one of each, like one derivatives platform, one Linux platform, one AMM, one order book based platform. And it's like every single one is a new project with a new token that raised X amount of money. Like it's, it's just really, really not sustainable long-term. You just don't have that much interest, uh, yeah. that much liquidity. And I think like that, that is really what like ended up taking these tokens down so much. Like most people didn't think maybe they would go this, this down this much, but because they're not, they were not that liquid they were, the float wasn't that high and you have a shit ton of them hundreds, if not thousands. And who, who actually wants to buy them right now? Like literally no one, literally no one's buying tokens. And there you have it. Well, <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. Literally, no one is buying <laughs> tokens. You hear that, Anon? No one. Well, Larry, Hogg, thank you so much for tuning in. Or rather, thanks for being on the show. And to you folks at home, thanks for tuning in to The Scoop. Thanks, Frank. Thanks. We'll be back for you again with another great guest. And in a month's time... We'll have Hog and Larry back on to talk about what they're seeing. Until then, have an amazing day.